Hello, good evening and welcome to tonight's edition of Resistance TV. Uh, we're going to be examining what's wrong with a so-called anti-racist charity known as Hope Not Hate this evening. Now, it sounds like a worthy organisation, doesn't it? But this supposedly anti-racist body seems to have a blind spot when it comes to Zionism, which is a racist settler colonial ideology. As far as Hope Not Hate's concerned, criticising Israel strictly off limits. They've accused people of anti-Semitism for against Israeli apartheid and for standing up for the Palestinian people. This pernicious weaponization of anti-Semitism also extends to anyone daring to defend people who've been falsely accused. We saw this only last week when they smeared the socialist folk singer Joe Solo. Joe's crime was to express solidarity with me just after I'd been suspended from the Labour Party on trumped-up charges in February 2019. Then in the 2019 general election campaign, they ran a smear operation against me, which included this video that they posted online. I'm Tess, I'm the political education officer for the Jewish Labour Movement, and I'm here to talk about Chris Williamson's politics of division and the resentment that I feel he's whipped up against my community. Chris Williamson is running as an independent candidate in Derby North. He liked a tweet which said, they own all media, power, money, lobbies. This is a clear racist depiction of Jews. Don't vote for Chris Williamson on December 12th. Whatever you do, reject his politics of division. Now, they also issued a, a statement which reads as follows, if we can just put that up on the screen. Uh, Chris Williamson made Labour's anti-Semitism problem worse and he deserves to lose his seat in Parliament. Hope not hate, Help make will help make that happen. It's up that Chris Williamson's resignation letter actually contained an anti-Semitic trope. It didn't, in fact. Williamson should have had no place in the Labour Party and hope not hate welcomed his long overdue departure from the party. His pattern of behaviour warranted swift and decisive action against him that just never came. It says much about Labour's failures that Williamson turned his back on the party rather than the other way round. Now that Chris Williamson's indicated that he intends to stand as an independent candidate, Hope Not Hate will campaign to ensure that the people of Derby are fully aware of this harmful and dangerous views. We're confident that both he and his gutter politics will be rejected at the ballot box. And then the statement goes on to completely misrepresent what they describe as my track record, and in fact, what I did was to call out the shameless weaponization of anti-Semitism, to defend anti-racist activists who'd been falsely accused, and to highlight the role of the Israeli embassy in the efforts to destroy the Corbyn project. So joining me this evening to help unpick the Hope Not Hate's backstory is the legendary anti-racist campaigner and prolific blogger Tony Greenstein and David Miller, who's the founder of Spinwatch and a former professor of political sociology at Bristol University. Give us your thoughts about uh, Hope Not Hate. I know you've been uh, looking at uh, some of their activities as well. Hope Not Hate is a curious organisation. I mean, it's it's one of a number of organisations which are active in the, the anti-racist field in this country who are whose purpose is to effectively discredit, divide and demoralise the anti-racist movement. Uh, and I would put hope not hate in the same category as organizations like the community security trust searchlight from which it came which we'll maybe talk about more and an, an organization like tell mama which uh, was set up in part by uh, in alliance with the community security trust 
Uh, and these, these are organizations which are very close to the British state uh, and collaborate um, with the British state, especially in relation to counter-extremism, and thus get into the, the realms quite often of uh, Islamophobic work and, and justifying counter-extremism work, justifying prevent the, the racist policy of the government. But they're also, um, all of them, uh, quite close to the Israeli government as well, and to Zionism. Sometimes that's because of, uh, of uh, financial links, sometimes it's ideological links, usually it's a bit of both. Uh, so Hope Not Hate is one of those kinds of organizations, and it might surprise people to hear me say that, because, you know, I, I guess a lot of people are familiar with Tell Mama, a lot of Muslims will be familiar with the fact that they're not really an anti-racist organization, they're there to kind of, you know, uh, so get in the way of proper anti-racist organizations from the Muslim community. But Hope Not Hate comes from, um, from this organization called Searchlight. Uh, I mean, maybe the thing to do here is to trace its history a little bit before we go on to talk about its current practice. Of course, Tony is quite right to talk about Ruth Smith as being a key person uh, in Hope Not Hate, along with Nick Lowell. They're the two central uh, figures uh, um, in the organization. But let's go back. I mean, I, I'll, I'll try and do this quickly, but we really need to go back to uh, an organization called the 43 Group, uh, which was formed after the end of the Second World War by Jewish, largely Jewish, uh, ex-servicemen whose aim was to ensure that fascism could never raise its head, its head in Britain after the defeat of the Nazis um, in the Second World War, the Great Patriotic War, as it was called in the Soviet Union. Mm. Um, and um, that was an organization which was, which was intent on street fighting in the sense of, of uh, you know, bashing the fascia, to use the, the, uh, t the term which became much more common in the in the 80s in, in this country. Uh, and they, they did that um, uh, to some extent quite effectively. But I, I wanted to, to raise that it seems to me that the, his, the reason for telling this history is to, just to know where they came from, but also to understand what is the contradiction at the heart of their anti-racism. What, the, what they did was they, they bashed the fascists. They took the fascists on on the streets and tried to make sure that they couldn't uh, organize. But there, there was a strange mix of politics there. It was an anti-fascism which was in part uh, uh, um, allied with a, with uh, a nascent Zionism. So I, I mean, and this is the this is perhaps the most famous member of the the forty three group was a, a, a one of the youngest members of the forty three group was a guy called Vidal Sassoon, uh, who you might uh, have heard of, the famous hairdresser, and of course he later set yeah. up a centre on anti-Semitism uh, in the state of Israel. Now he was a, a part of the forty three group. Uh, and a Zionist at the time. And of course, uh, two years later, two and a half years later, he ends up in the Palmach, the elite force of the Haganah, the uh, uh, nascent Israel defense forces engaged in uh, ethnic cleansing and uh, in, uh, ensuring that three quarters of a million Palestinians were pushed out uh, of Palestine in a, an act of uh, ethnic cleansing. Um, now that's the contradiction at the heart of the anti-racism of this faction, which takes us all the way through to Hope Not Hate. Now, the 43 group was wound up in 1950, uh, but, but then a new group was started in 1962 called the 62 group. Uh, and some of the people involved in the 43 group set it up. Now in, in the 62 group, there was, a, there was a leftist faction. There was a strong Communist Party of Great Britain faction. Um, most of the history books don't say much about there being a lot of Trotskyists there. It was, it was CPGB people. Uh, and there was a sort of Marxist wing, as one of the people involved have put it, and there was a Zionist wing. And the Zionist wing, of course, was 
uh, was it was had a contradictory uh, element to his politics, which was that it you know it was anti-racist when it came to, to fascists, except in the case of Arabs of Palestine. Okay, uh, and now when when people look back on the sixty-two group, which has been immortalised in the uh, recent TV show Ridley Road, people see this as being you know a, a unique alliance of of the left, which is true, and of left-wing Zionists to, to um, counter-fascists. But let's remember that these were not only left-wing Zionists. There were left-wing Zionists involved in, in, in that organization. And the most obvious one of the ones of these are the two uh, uh, Labour MPs who set up uh, a news sheet called Searchlight as part of the 62 group, Reg Friesen and John Lester, both of whom were members of the, the predecessor body of the Jewish Labour movement, i.e. they were left-wing, uh, in as much as one can say that, that, that term, left-wing Zionists. Um, but there were also uh, really very right-wing Zionists involved. Um, perhaps the most well-known of those is Gerald Ronson, uh, who uh, by the age of 18, before he joined the 62 Group, was already a millionaire, and he took over as the finance uh, person in the organisation. He was a right-wing Zionist. He eventually set up the Community Security Trust many years later, three decades later, in 1994. And, also, and, and the most perhaps the most hardline Zionists, we don't really know, uh, much about some of the other people, but perhaps the most the well-known hardline Zionist in there was a guy called Leslie Hardman, who was the chaplain to the group, uh, and in 1970 uh, became the vice president of Herut GB. Now, of course, uh, as those who, of you who are familiar with Israel-Palestine will know, Herut was the party of Menachem Begin, the successor to the Irgun, which of course bombed the King David Hotel in 1946, and was involved in the Deir Yassin massacre in 1948, where over 100 uh, Palestinian civilians were massacred as part of the process of uh, of, of ethnic cleansing of Palestine, and so he, these were really quite hardline revisionist Zionists um, who were who were part of this organisation. So let's remember that, and the, and all the way through this process, there have been people like that who have been involved in these organisations, uh, who have meant it's been impossible for those organisations to be properly anti-racist, i.e., to uh, be uh, against anti-Palestinian racism or anti-Arab racism. And that just to, to, to link, make the further link, which would take us to hope not hate, the one of the early people involved in the 62 group uh, and then in, in Searchlight, which uh, the, the, uh, the left-wing Zionists were involved in, uh, in editing, first of all, and who, who, who became the editor after it became a magazine in the 70s, a guy called Jerry Gable. Now, Jerry Gable is a, is a really very interesting character, still around, still runs Searchlight, uh, and later on, of course, he had a split with Nick Lowells, who went on to form uh, Hope Not Hate, uh, in, uh, formerly in 2011. And Gable was a CP member, uh, and he uh, left the CP, uh, according to his own account, um, because it was too anti-Israel. Now, I, I ask people when I see them, well, um, if they can work out which year it was that he, he left, they say, oh, 2015, 2018. So 2001, you know, 1980, and I said, no, 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 1962, he left the Communist Party because it was too anti-Israel in 1962, before mm -hmm. the, the territory in Gaza and the Golan, etc. Uh, so he was an ex-communist, part of the Zionist wing of this organization. And it, essentially what they were doing was engaging in not just in bashing the flash, but also infiltrating uh, right-wing organizations, sending in informers, turning people inside the fascist organizations, uh, um, and that was the, the core of their, their anti-fascist work. Gable was the head of intelligence for the organization for, for the 62 group and then the editor of, of, um, 
of, of searchlight. And here's the, the thing. The thing was that they he eventually, you know, as he's the head of intelligence, he becomes a spy uh, in all senses of the word. Not just in the sense that he was actively spying and running spies, running agents inside organizations and um, uh, at the time, but that he was also, uh, by the 70s, collaborating with the special branch with MI5. According to his own account in the famous Gable Memo, which he wrote in 1977, he was collaborating also with French intelligence, with the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, and with another organization, which I'll come back to in a, in a second, which I think is you know, really stunningly uh, interesting. So he, this was an organization which had become, by this stage, um, an asset of British intelligence. Uh, and as a result, you know, uh, people knew this by, by the late 70s. The New Statesman wrote about it. It was a big scandal at the time. Uh, as a result, you know, the, nobody on the left should have had anything to do with this organization. It was clearly being used by MI5 and by the Special Branch. Uh, of course, they worked closely together uh, to spy on the left. Um, the, the memo, I mean, let's remember this, they started off uh, infiltrating the far right. The memo was uh, a briefing uh, with all sorts of salacious gossip and lies about a guy called Phil Kelly, who was at that stage a radical journalist working with, uh, uh, amongst the milieu of uh, Duncan Campbell, uh, Chris, B. Uh, Chris B. Aubrey, uh, Mark Hosenbaum, the American investigative journalist. I mean, Phil is still alive, uh, and he eventually went on to become a Labour councillor in Islington uh, and worked for Michael Mitchell for many years. Now, that, that's who he was spying on. He was spying on a left-wing investigative journalist and smearing him as being some kind of asset of East German intelligence or the KGB or some, some other rubbish like that. Now, to come back to the point I made earlier, this is the thing which I think is not had enough attention. In his memo at the end, he mentions French and British intelligence and the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So that's three uh, foreign uh, intelligence agencies. But he also mentions a guy called Jeffrey Stuart Smith, who no one will have heard of, no one will remember. I, I bet Tony remembers. Um, uh, who was a former Tory MP, and by this stage he ran an organisation called the Foreign Affairs uh, Research Institute, I think it's called. And in the memo, Gable says, oh yes, he's got very good CIA contacts. But when you look back at it now, it doesn't look like that organisation had CIA contacts. In fact, it was almost entirely funded by the Bureau of State Security of the apartheid regime of South Africa. And so, wow. I mean, stunningly, and people have, mm. I think people, many, many people haven't noticed this, stunningly, it, not just we're working with Israelis with MI5, but with the apartheid regime to to, for, mm. to to spy on the left. And of course, they were also looking at um, Palestinian organizations and the, the Palestinian solidarity movement as, as a key part. And all the way through the process of, state, of, of uh, searchlight, there's been, been a consistent hostility towards uh, what they've called him, and Tony's blog says this very well, Arab terrorists uh, and uh, the Iranians and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, very consistent with the kind of Zionist perspective. And they, in fact, sacked one of their editors when he made the mistake of um, of writing a, a story which was critical of Israeli oppression of the Palestinians. So that's the, the, the ideological pedigree. This is an organisation such like which worked with the state, was a state asset. I, I believe still is a state asset. And that's the 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 milieu in which Nick Lowe's worked when he took over as editor, such like uh, uh, he was, according to, to Larry O'Hara. Um, I know he's into, this isn't true. He was recruited from the Union of Jewish Students, uh, which of course is formerly a Zionist organisation. Uh, and it shouldn't be any surprise then, therefore, that Ruth Smith 
you know, a, a long-time Zionist activist, has been central to hope not hate. Smith and Lowell, the two most central central actors. I'd like just to let me finish up by, and let me let Tony come back in here a minute. I mean, I think that's that's an indication really of the orientation that they have towards the state, both in terms of the uh, state of Israel uh, and the, the Zionism, which suffuses their conception of anti-racism, and on the other hand, uh, their their connection with uh, state counter-terror objectives. That, that is, their their concern with uh, radical Islam. Uh, with, uh, and with, with uh, extremism in the country, etc. So they've collaborated with a number of organisations, uh, for example, Inspire, um, which um, have co have collaborated with, which are themselves current or were themselves at, at that stage a couple of years ago current assets of British intelligence in the sense that they worked with uh, with Ricky, the Research Information and Communications Unit of the Home Office, which of course, as many people will know, is part of the uh, uh, the um, Office for Security and Counterterrorism, which people don't know widely enough is itself formerly a British intelligence agency. So, I mean, there, there we are. Mm. That's all the way through this process. Zionism on the one hand uh, and um, Islamophobia and government uh, intelligence uh, uh, strategies and perspectives. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, from what you're saying there, it's, I mean, I've sort of had this suspicion about uh, hope not hate for a while now, but they're kind of like a, a fifth columnists uh, operating inside the labor movement. And they seem to have, with a lot of people, even now, a, a decent reputation and they are supported, I believe, by trade unions and certainly a lot of uh, Labour Party uh, members, for example, have been very supportive of them. And indeed, before they started attacking me, before I was re-elected to, to Parliament, I remember them uh, offering up speakers and being at meetings where they were participating. This is locally in my own constituency and indeed in in adjoining uh, constitu uh, constituencies and uh, I kind of work worked alongside because you know I wasn't aware at all I've got to say and, uh, and I won't be unique that many many people uh, will have been in, in the same boat as me and obviously these scales have fallen from my eyes I think they're falling from from uh, increasing numbers of people but they still are um, a, a respected and deemed a legitimate anti-racist organization I mean do you think that's a fair description to call, refer to them as a, as a, as a fifth columnist, uh, a bunch of fifth columnists uh, operating inside the Labour movement, uh, David? Or am I being unfair to hope not hate? I mean, would you, how would you describe them? Well, I mean, I think that you're right to say that they have a lot of support in the Labour movement. Um, uh, Searchlight, um, for as a result of the number of scandals that happened in relation to it, became increasingly seen as an object of suspicion uh, on the left. Not, I mean, not, not nearly enough, but uh, it was a, an object of, of suspicion. So that, for example, it was, when it was part, it was part of United Against Fascism. It worked closely with, I mean, I, I mean, extraordinary really, if when you think back at it, they worked closely with Red Action, with Anti-Fascist Action, with the Anti-Nazi League, with Rock Against Racism. They were part of United Against Fascism. They left, resigned from United Against Fascism um, because there were too many whispers they said of, people in uh, United Against Fascism referring to them as Zionists and being skeptical about their pro-Israel politics. Uh, and, I, and I remember at the time, you know, the, the, uh, the Jewish Socialist Group, uh, you know, an organization which, looking back at it, really ought to have known better, complaining about them leaving and asking them, you know, be effectively begging them to come mm -hmm. back mm -hmm. and saying, you know, we, we need to work closely with, uh, with, with uh, we, if we don't work closely with people who have a different position with us on Israel, meaning Zionists, then that will be a free 
got a free pass or an open goal, uh, I'm paraphrasing, for right-wing Zionists. Now, of course, uh, the story I've been telling reveals that right-wing Zionists, you know, very right-wing Zionists have been involved in this movement of milieu from the very beginning, you know, right back to Vidal Sassoon. Uh, you know, the best year of his life, he said, was when he was involved in ethnic cleansing in Palestine. Uh, and and so yeah, that's, yeah. I think it's a, it's a, has been a mistake on the left to think, well, actually, we might have a difference in Israel, but we can collaborate on, on anti-racist politics apart from that. But of course you can't, you, because there is a, there's one thing you can't touch, and that is Israel-Palestine. Uh, and that, that mm. then it has consequences. I mean, if, if, if I mention again the question of South Africa, I mean, this is very, very familiar to me from, uh, if you look at the similar organizations in the US uh, to the to the Community Security Trust, which we haven't talked about, but which is a parallel sort of organization coming out of the 62 mm. group. And there's an organization in the US called the Anti-Defamation League, which, um, you know, it, took, it was very pro-Israel from the very beginning of its, organ, its, its existence, right back to before the creation of the State of Israel. So it was pro-Zionist then. It had people involved in it who became involved in the, in the Haganah, uh, just like Vidal Sassoon did. And then I think it's the 90s, um, uh, people in California will, will jump on me if I'm wrong, but there was a huge scandal because they were actually engaged in, uh, in collaborating with the police in California and sending intelligence to the apartheid regime. Mm. So, uh, and, uh, and that, you know, that's, a, that's an indication really of wh where that kind of anti-racism takes you to, you know, to the very opposite. But if you, if you, if you're blank and blind on Palestine, in the end, what, what practically happened was you end up collaborating with, uh, with, you know, other racist regimes as well uh, as with the Israelis. And so I think that, that, that you know, it's, that's fair. You know, it's fair to say that this is a, a really problematic thing. And it's fair to people say people don't understand this. People understand it a little bit more about the Community Security Trust than they do about Hope Not Hate. But Hope Not Hate has managed to extract itself from all the controversy that there was around Searchlight. I mean, really, lots of different controversies there. Uh, and smearing of people as fascists. I mean, you know, do you know what such like do? Their, their, their MO was to say, oh, well, uh, we're against fascists and we're against the, the contemporary fascists of today. And uh, if you look at the contemporary fascists of today, you'll find that they are having contacts uh, with, uh, with, uh, with uh, actual fascists. And so we should see these new organizations as being fascist. And they're talking about here, they're talking about the PLO, having contacts with, with fascists, they're talking about Anarchist groups having contacts with fascists, they talk about elements, Trotskyist groups having contacts with fascists, and that's their MO. They smear any of their opponents mm. in the movement, or even people they're working with, as being as being fascist adjacent or, or, or fascist light or having contacts with fascists. And, and, and yet, that, and, and yet, Zionists. Really and, state yeah, I mean, and yet, you know, as we know, the kind of Zionists work. Uh, very happily with the likes of Tommy Robinson, which is uh, which is interesting, you know. So, but anyway, um, let me see if we can bring uh, Tony back in now, and hopefully we've sorted out that technical problem with the very feedback. Happily with the likes of Tommy Robinson. No, we haven't actually. I'm still getting feedback. Gaz, are we? Are you? Are you getting feedback, Gaz? Here, when we bring Tony in. Yeah, same here. I'm not sure what's going ah. on with him. Ah, that's a, that's a that's a pity, really. Um, we might just. Uh, I don't know if there's anything more that Tony. Tony can do, or whether you can do off offline, we'll uh, we'll stick with uh, with David if you're okay uh, with that, uh, uh, David. I wonder if you could maybe say a little bit more about uh, Gerald uh, Ronson and the uh, and the Guinness fraud. And uh, 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 I think you've talked a bit about. I think you mentioned the CST, but then you kind of elaborated a bit and referred to them as the Community Security Trust. People may have been wondering what that is, but I wonder maybe you could say a little bit more about that, perhaps. 
Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I, I've told this kind of potted history, and I mean, let's go back to the 62 group. So, as I mentioned, Ronson was the the uh, finance head uh, uh, in the 62 group, but I mean, he would be, when that started, he'd be 23 or, or thereabouts. Apparently, he was by the age of 18 a millionaire. Um, he'd been, he'd gone to left school at 14, straight into his dad's um, uh, uh, business empire. Uh, he, he says, you know, if you Google him, uh, he says in various places that he was worth over a billion in the 80s, lost a lot of it in the crash. And he also, you know, lost a bit uh, when he was fined several million pounds and uh, had to go to jail for uh, a year, six months uh, for his part in the Guinness fraud, you know, which they appealed, of course, all the way up to the highest court in the land and uh, sadly lost. Uh, and uh, he was, so he was involved, you know, he found, found guilty of criminal offences, fraud, of false accounting, etc. Uh, and this is the man who, uh, when he was in prison uh, and, and you know, inverted commas, disgraced, was visited by uh, key uh, Israeli politicians, Benjamin Netanyahu, visited him when he was in prison. Um, uh, he's been na- he was named as one of Netanyahu's millionaires in a famous um, story in the Israeli press, where a handwritten note was found with a you know, list of names. He was one of the names. Uh, on that, you can look that up if you, if you Google Netanyahu's millionaires, you'll find his name there. Uh, and he was involved with the 62 Group, and eventually um, they, they decided. I mean, he was famously he brags about this being you know, famously was known for being good with his fists, and uh, at the time, and he they, they then decided that uh, they had to become a bit more respectable, and they set up this uh, Jewish activities um, uh, organization. Uh, Jacob was its uh, um, its acronym. Uh, Leslie Hardman, the revisionist Zionist Hood vice president, was involved in Jacob, um, and they were critical of the board of deputies and uh, and were, were involved in trying to, to be more um, uh, what's the word he uses devious. So they weren't so much they didn't so much do so much violence, he says, but they were more devious uh, in this new organisation and in the, in the successing successor organisations, including something which was known as the Group Relations Educational Trust, which became eventually. In 1994, the Community Security Trust. Now, that's that's another organisation. There's, there's the Community Security Trust milieu, and there's this such like hope not hate milieu, which came out of this 43 group, 62 group um, uh, uh, succession of organisations. Uh, the, the CST is set up as an organisation which says that it's there to counteract and combat anti-Semitism to protect British Jews from from attack, and it has its own kind of private army of. Uh, of um, security guards who um, attend communal events and uh, guard synagogues and uh, Jewish schools. Uh, the CST now gets something like 14 million a year from the from the British government um, to help with that with that activity, uh, including money which came from uh, uh, was signed off by uh, when he was a minister, Michael Gove, who was at the same time also, uh, and this wasn't widely known, was covert. Uh, he was a member of the advisory board. Of the CST, and I, I know this because it was me who discovered uh, <laughs> a document online which named all of the members of the advisory board, which hadn't previously been public, and they, and they, you know, of course, hadn't uh, disclosed that when, or at least it wasn't seen as an issue when they decided to give all this money to the CST. So CST is there to to protect British Jews against anti-Semitism, but of course, uh, in the way of uh, of Zionist politics, they're not really either able or willing to distinguish between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, or let me put this a different way, they deliberately foster a blurring between the two of them. And uh, the, the CST mm-hmm. has been 
central to that in the sense of operationalizing a blurring between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, but not just that, it's also been centrally involved uh, in uh, an Israeli government forum, the Coordination Forum for Countering Antisemitism, uh, which was run by Mossad, uh, in, in coming up with the idea that anti-Zionism was anti-Semitism. Uh, so it's been directly involved in that process of reimagining anti-Semitism as being something which would, you know, uh, uh, some years later, uh, catch Jeremy Corbyn and, you know, lots of us. Uh, so so they, they've been strongly involved with the Israeli state, uh, indeed with Mossad, uh, and this has been widely known, um, I guess, for the last 10 years. I mean, I, the way I first came in touch, got into touch, uh, got, became involved with the CST, if you like, was uh, in a case in, in 2011, I think it was, where the um, Palestinian politician Sheikh Raid Salah was coming to talk in Britain, including in Parliament. I think Jerry Corbyn was invited, was involved in inviting him or something. And the mm. uh, the Theresa May, the Home Secretary, decided to exclude him. Um, but they uh, they decided too late because he he'd already arrived in a previous flight and they hadn't known. <laughs> so they then they went on the house arrest and he and he, <laughs> he went through this process and the, it turned out in in the tri trial, which I was I was called as an expert witness by the defence. Um, that the evidence on which he was excluded was provided by the CST. Uh, and mm. there were various things about the evidence which, which were dubious, including the, the translation of a poem in which the word oppressors had been changed to the word Jews. Oh, big surprise there. Uh, and also yeah. in the, the material that the CST were using to, uh, mm. to promote the idea that Salah was a problem and should be excluded, uh, you know, including uh, a number of different uh, uh, writers on Israeli politics who are, you know, transparent racists. Um, so mm. that was when I came, came across the, the CST. And as, as a result, partly of that, the exposure of some of their uh, evidence being dodgy, they, they lost the case and, and uh, Salah won the case. And, right. and as a result, since then, since then um, I've had a number of run-ins with the CST, uh, in, including, of course, um, uh, most famously, as far as I'm concerned, at least, they were the first ones to complain about me at the University of Bristol, which led to me eventually uh, being sacked there just the other month. So the CST is is part of that milieu and part of the poisoning yeah. of anti-racist politics in this country. And I mentioned Tell Mama earlier, and Tell Mama is a similar organisation. CST is there to uh, monitor anti-Semitism. Of course, it blushed together, um, uh, anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism. Tell Mama was set up with the aid of the CST. Well, uh, uh, one of the key um, directors of the CST, which of course they try and keep secret uh, because they've, they've got this dispensation from companies' house not to name their trustees, but they're always finding finding out who they are. Anyhow, this this guy from the CST was on the board of Tell Mama, had to set it up, and Tell Mama, of course, is an organisation which is dedicated to making to to countering Islamophobia. But its definition of Islamophobia yeah. is, of course, quite different to a sensible one in the sense that it. It uh, excludes uh, the state from uh, Islamophobia, so it excludes uh, counterterrorism powers and uh, civil liberties infringements, mm. all of which are, have a direct negative impact, a disproportionate impact on Muslims, uh, but which none of which are are included in Tel Mama's uh, data collection. They want instead to focus on the same people that Searchlight or Tel Hope Not Hate or the CST yeah. folk, which is the far right, uh, except for the far right who are on their side. Just you know, uh, so th th there's that kind of tension in there. 
Um, and uh, so Tel, Tel Alma is another 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 organisation which has poisoned the well of British anti-racist politics. Mm. And, uh, we mm. ought to be much more clear about that than than um, we have been. Uh, uh, well, so we need far. to, uh, and hopefully we've made a bit of a start uh, this evening in actually trying to sort of clarify some of that stuff. But it's but it is interesting. Obviously, you know, hate not hate, hope not hates role in actually uh, you know smearing uh, socialists and undermining the the Corbyn uh, project. And uh, I think you touched on this, but I wonder just before we try one more time with with Tony, uh, if you could say a little bit um, about Open Heights' involvement, if any, with the security services today. Well, I mean, the as well. Uh, let, 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 let's talk more about Ruth Smith. I mean, no, no doubt Tony will mention more about this than, than I will. But, but Ruth Smith, of course, um, more known to most people, I guess, you know, who have come across her as a Labour MP, centrist Labour MP, who was anti-Corbyn, etc. But she starts a career. Um, I mean, I haven't. Let's not go right back, but uh, you know, as a as a lobbyist for the New Health Network, which was a Blairite a neoliberal um, uh, discussion group, uh, favourable eventually, essentially to the privatisation of the NHS, then went to work for Sodexo as a lobbyist again, you know, uh, in the same milieu. Uh, then she, uh, skipping a job, she went to then work for. Uh, I mean, is there a company more hated than Nestle? Maybe there's one or two. She worked for a, for a year as a lobbyist for Nestle. Um, uh, and, uh, and before that, she was started her formal jobs for um, Israel Lobby Group. She worked for BICOM for a, for a little while, uh, which is the Britain-Israel Communications and Research Centre, the key uh, PR agency for Israel in, in this country, funded by another one of those uh, Netanyahu millionaires, Pohu uh, Blodovich and others. Um, uh, and then after Nestle, she went to work for the CST, uh, the organisation um, which we've just been mentioning. And she has two years there, and then she starts to work for. I mean, she says on her LinkedIn for for Hope Not Hate, but you know she was working for Searchlight at the time because it was called Searchlight at the time. I didn't change its name, uh, and she becomes a director of of Hope of, of Searchlight, which then changes its name to to Hope Not Hate, and then she's a director of the other company, uh, becomes the deputy director in 2015. Um, now, Ruth Smith, of course, uh, uh, um, uh, or Ruth strictly protect Smith, as we must call her. Uh, is another indication of the connections that uh, these organisations have with um, state states and, and the extent to which they are state assets. Uh, in the time when she was working at the CST, there's a WikiLeaks cable. If you Google Ruth Smith Strictly Protect, you'll find it, um, which uh, records a conversation between the um, uh, between the, uh, someone from the State Department. Uh, and Ruth Smith, who is giving her advice on what Gordon Brown is going to do next, and they say this is, this is not known, et cetera, et cetera. But they refer to her as a strictly protect source, which is yeah. a confidential source. So, you know, and she's never, of course, adequately described, explained, or rebutted this. But that means that she is, she is or was at that time, an asset of the US state. I mean, you know, there's no other way of putting mm -hmm. this. And if you, if, you want to, if you want to define this clearly, you know, look up the word uh, agent on uh, MI5's website, and you'll see that what they refer to there is covert human information sources, informers, mm. are known in MI5 as agents of MI5. People who work for MI5 yeah. on a basis, they're called officers of MI5. So th these people, Jerry Gable, Ruth Smith, others, are assets or agents of states. Uh, and uh, mm. you know, we shouldn't be thinking that, I mean, I think some people on the left 
think, oh, well, Gable, we just had these dodgy contacts, but let's not look at it from the point of view of Jerry Gable or Smith. Let's look at it from the people who are in charge here, and that is the states. Uh, the US state, yeah. British Israeli state, uh, and, and indeed, as I mentioned, the, the apartheid South Africa state. So I mean, the, 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 there is every reason to, to suppose, given the milieu from which they came, that Hulot Hay is uh, and remains uh, uh, an asset of, of British intelligence, and of course will have connections with the Israeli state. Yeah. And not surprising, therefore, that uh, they were, uh, you know, implicated in trying to undermine uh, Jeremy Corbyn and, and the people uh, around him and, you know, supporters of him and, you know, people like myself uh, yeah, and others. I mean, Tony, let's... Oh, sorry, go on, David, just... Yeah. I mean, uh, just let's... Go on, let's, I mean, just, uh, let's speak... Let's put me slightly more concrete than I... I mean, I was kind of speaking slightly conjecturally there, but we don't need to speak so conjecturally. I mean, I think no doubt other people will know more about this than I do, but let's look at some of the people involved with Hope Not Hate. Just take two examples of people who connect Hope Not Hate uh, to the British state and to the uh, Israeli state. First of all, I got, there's a guy on there called Kari Asim, uh, who's also on a number of government committees. He's on the um, board for um, imams uh, set up by the government. He's also on the anti-Muslim hatred working group of the government. And these, these are counter-extremists and bodies. He's also involved with uh, an organization called uh, Imams Online, which of course, just like uh, the organization Inspire I mentioned before, has worked uh, with British intelligence uh, via RICU, the Research Information Communications Unit of the Home Office. So he is, can I ask him is, let's be very clear about this, an asset of British intelligence. I mean, he, he, he looks like a kind of, you know, perfectly respectable imam, uh, but he's an asset of British intelligence. Now, that links, you know, Hope Not Hate, without, without saying anything about Ruth Smith or Nick Lowe's, uh, you know, to that milieu. And then the second person, his person who's no longer uh, there, um, uh, is um, uh, uh, who was on the board of Hope Not Hate for a while, um, is a person who um, was helped set up uh, British Muslims for Secular Democracy, but also was, in, uh, was on the, uh, the list of employees of the European Foundation for Democracy. Now, um, that's a Brussels-based think tank, which is a subsidiary of the Washington DC-based Foundation for Defence of Democracies. Now, that's an organisation which is effectively uh, the Kud Front, which um, mm. in the uh, Al Jazeera programme the Lobby USA, the uh, former Director General of the Ministry of Strategic Affairs, Sima Vaknin-Deal, refers to FDD as being uh, an asset of the Israeli government. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in the Ministry of Strategic Affairs, of course, is the ministry in charge of anti-BDS and anti-Palestine solidarity uh, activities. Now, that, yeah. that puts this person who was on the board of, uh, of um, Hope Not Hate in, a, in a, as being an, a person who's involved in an organization which is itself directly an asset of the Israeli government. Yeah. Uh, these, these uh, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about assets and agents tonight, but, but these things are real relationships and we uh, ought to yes. be clear that they're relationships which can have a, an impact on people's activities. Well, no, well, I think that's very important because I think a lot of people will be absolutely aghast at, uh, that this is uh, the background to uh, hope not hate. Uh, Tony, let's hope we can uh, not have the... Uh, <laughs> Technical problems now. I mean, Davis very, very succinctly, I think, set out there the kind of history uh, and what led up to where we are today and some of the 
the background to hope not at hate at the moment. Now, as I was saying, when I tried to introduce you at the beginning, Tony, you've written a blog uh, this week and you you took hope not hate to to task uh, in that. I wonder whether you could maybe summarize perhaps uh, some of your concerns that you that you included in that blog <coughs> and, and uh, blog and any other comments you might have in relation to some of the points that David has already mentioned. Yeah, uh, I hope the problems have now uh, disappeared. It seems to have been, it seems to be sorted now, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, David mentioned that there's a direct link between hope not hate and the forty three group. I'm not sure that is the case. So the forty three group was a genuine group which arose after the war when the union movement, Oswald Mosley's group, began gaining strength again in the East End and holding public meetings, etc. Uh, and the, and the ex-servicemen who uh, formed the, the nucleus of the 43 group uh, consisted of communists as well as Zionists and people who were unaffiliated. Uh, and then, as David said, they, they disbanded in 1950 uh, mm. and then resurrected or, or a new group, the 62 group, came into being in 1962. I don't think there were, uh, one can say there was... A direct link or indeed any link. I think the 62 group is more problematic. Uh, Gable was clearly a central figure in that and Gable who was became editor of Searchlight. Incidentally the first editor of uh, Searchlight before him was the late Morris Ludmer who was president of Birmingham Trades Council and was clearly a figure of the labour movement. He also resigned from the Communist Party, but not because of its position on Israel, but because it didn't take the fight against racism and fascism seriously. So uh, I think he was qualitatively uh, different from Gable. Uh, and his position uh, was basically the issue of Palestine or Israel shouldn't intrude into anti-fascist work. And I think most of us agreed at that time. I mean, Palestine was not the issue of apartheid that is today. Let us remember that most people were ignorant at that time. There was no Palestine solidarity movement uh, and so on. But the, the situation under Jerry Gable, uh, I think, uh, developed quite differently. And Gable, who clearly had very close links with all sorts of intelligence agencies, uh, British, uh, American, Israeli, and David's mentioned French, was engaged in essence in the process of trading information. He got information from the mm. special branch and fascists, uh, and in return, he gave information on the left and anarchist groups. And I've detailed in my blog because I, I was an executive member of anti fascist action in the late 80s. Uh, they set about destabling anti uh, fascist action by making completely bogus allegations, in particular against a group called Class War. That were, they were basically a front for the National Front. Uh, mm. And AFA suspended Class War on the basis that, well, if it was in Searchlight, then it was true, because Searchlight had a good reputation then. Uh, and we set up a, a, an inquiry. But lo and behold, when it came to providing any evidence to back up their assertions, mm. uh, it was conspicuous by its absence. And I, I, I put on my blog links to various documents, which, uh, including the inquiry report, uh, which details this, uh, there's absolutely, I don't think, any doubt. Where groups like uh, Hope Not Hate come in, uh, well, Hope Not Hate split off from Searchlight in about uh, 2011, but 
there was no principle break. It wasn't a, it wasn't that Nichols and uh, Jerry Gable disagreed with each other. It, it was a question of money, uh, in essence, that Nichols uh, considered he could make it on his own, and he didn't need, if you like, Jerry Gable hanging around his neck. And it was probably a wise decision from their point of view, because Searchlight today is really a shadow of what it was. Gable himself is a uh, very old uh, and searchlight is i think hardly functioning at all to be quite honest mm. roles and uh hope not hate are a different kettle of fish altogether incidentally hope not hate when it started uh was clear that he didn't have a position on israel palestine I, I can remember Lowell saying he didn't want to vocalize on palestine but clearly that position changed I suspect with the emergence of Ruth Smith in about 2015, uh, David's gone into Ruth Smith. She was she was one of the main figures in the Jewish mm. labor movement who led the attack on Jeremy Corbyn. And I think people will remember uh, her storming out of the Chakrabarti press conference yeah. uh, when Mark Wadsworth uh, called her to task uh, for her dealings with Telegraph journalists. And uh, I don't yeah. need to go yeah. over that. Quite she was salary. calling for the uh, she was calling for the whip to be withdrawn from me two months after I was re-elected in uh, 2017, Tony as well. So yeah, she's certainly yes. got form for. Yeah, she's, for attacking, she's uh, she is an agent of multiple groups in a sense, and uh, that was the task of the Jewish Labour movement. It was refounded uh, in 2015. There was a very good article by Asa Wynn Stanley and the Electronic Intifada about how this yeah. Zionist group in the Labour Party which was all but dead, it had done nothing, it was completely quiescent, was reactivated after Corbyn's election. And the reason is because they had unique access to the Labour Party by virtue of their affiliation as a socialist society. They could move resolutions, yeah. they could affiliate to local parties, and so on and so forth. But if you like, hope not hate, I think have overdone it. I mean, David mentioned about how the Jewish socialist group begged Searchlight not to leave Unite Against Fascism. Well, today, I mean, David Rosenberg of the Jewish socialist group uh, has left Hope Not Hate and there's quite a bit of critic of them now because, I mean, yeah. for, for whatever you can say about the JSG's politics, I mean, they were supportive of Jeremy Corbyn. And Hope Not Hate were one of the leading flag bearers, if you like, of the attack on Corbyn and the uh, yeah. and running on the Labour anti-Semitism nonsense. So mm. it's it's a very clearly different story. But what they are, in essence, is bourgeois anti-fascists. So it, uh, they take the position that, yes, they don't like fascism of the right, but they also don't, uh, don't like uh, the left's opposition to Israel and Zionism. So... They steer mm. a middle course and they do it in alliance with the state itself, which is, if you like, the root cause of racist and uh, fascist movements in this yes. country. And it causes them a certain, if you like, uh, schizophrenia. Uh, but I think Hope Not Hate overplayed their hands when they attacked Joe Solo uh, because yeah. they weren't they weren't expecting the backlash that they got. No. You know, I mean, there are allegations that he needs training or on anti-Semitism, mm. which, you know, yeah. it's like uh, Chinese re-education or, or what mm. happens under Stalin, that you need to be educated about anti-Semitism. Well, it's quite simple. CST... Well, it's not, it's not education, is it, Tony, about no, anti-Semitism? It, it's trying to... It's, it's, it's basically forcing people or indoctrinating people to 
uh, assume or conflate uh, and yes I just want to Tony if I may because I just we've, made we've only got 10 on the CST uh, yes, yes, of course. But I just want to bring Sean in, but, so just to kind of get reaction, so he can respond to any comments that people who've been watching might have. I, so, I just yeah. wanted to mention briefly on the Community Security Trust, which has an especially close relationship with Mossad, which is Israel's MI6. And there's a very interesting article. It's in a, a book by Jewish Voices for Peace in America, and it's an article by Tony Lerman, who's an who is an expert in anti-Semitism. He was, in fact, sacked uh, from the Institute of Jewish or forced to resign from the Institute of Jewish Policy Research because he, he diverged very considerably. Now, he mentioned in this article, and it's really worth going, it's in this booklet uh, on anti-Semitism, that in the 1990s, he was approached by Mossad, the Mossad representative in London, and said that Mossad were taking over the collation of anti-Semitism statistics statistics internationally and that they wanted his operation because he'd been doing much the same to basically fold they didn't want him doing it any longer they were taking it on board now you might ask yourself say in this country why would mi6 want to collate uh, statistics on uh, racist incidents i mean there'd be no reason whatsoever it wouldn't be their job why would mossad be interested in it Clearly, it's because anti-Semitism was seen as a key point of Israel's foreign policy objectives and its propaganda abroad. And that's what if and CST does. If you look at their reports, they produce an incidents report each year. You'll see that the way they manipulate it, so that anti-Semitism is always seen to be increasing. And one of the ways they do that is by the mixing social media anti-Semitism, which I think is unquantifiable. Uh, with genuine incidents of anti-Semitism. Uh, I assume that the rest are genuine uh, incidents because, it, it, say, uh, social media anti-Semitism, I mean, one person could put out a million tweets, but, you know, oh, I mean, course, people, yeah. no one's ever died from a tweet. So it, 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 it's a completely subjective exercise, which is in tune with what the, the Israeli state wants, which is to put over the image and the idea anti-Semitism is always is continually increasing and therefore Jews in the diaspora really what they should do is pack up their bags and go to Israel I mean that that's the end product of it as well as of course yeah. weaponizing anti-Semitism against radicals and anti-Israel uh, groups uh, in whichever country they happen happen to operate so uh, it, it's clear it's a very political organization and hope not hate has really embraced all of that. Hope not hate. Yeah, I mean, or yeah. a pernicious organisation, and I think one of our jobs is to get them out of the labour movement. I think that's one of the tasks for socialists to say we don't trust you any longer. Yes, you've done good work in, say, opposing Tommy Robinson, but what you can't come to terms with is the fact that this Tommy Robinson is the most avid supporter of the state of Israel. He was welcomed as yes. a hero on the last uh, pro-Israel demonstration in May outside the Israeli embassy. Answer us why you think Tommy Robinson and neo-Nazis in general love Israel today. What is it about Israel that people mm. on the far right who are anti-Semitic uh, find so acceptable? Yes, indeed. And of course, and that never really came out, uh, certainly not in the mainstream media or indeed any of the leading figures, even under Jeremy's period, really, uh, in no. the Labour Party, never really kind of uh, highlighted that. And 
they were uh, they were allowed to sow a myth, and uh, and that was uh, used to destroy all our hopes that we might be able to get a modest socialist program and an anti-imperialist foreign policy um, as 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 a you know key platforms for a, for a future Labour government. Of course, that's all been completely destroyed now. But look, we we only got five minutes left. Let me just quickly bring in uh, Sean, see if she's got any observations sure. and if there's any comments from uh, from the people who've been watching. Sean, any any thoughts, any comments from people? Hi. Um... Hi, everybody. Um, no, there's not that many. I think we've got a lot of people watching tonight. And um, I think people are just absolutely fascinated by this story. Um, I think most people on the left have heard of Hope Not Hate. And they just associate it with uh, an anti-racism group. So it's quite shocking to people um, to hear the whole background of Hope Not Hate, where they've come from, those links with the CST, with BICOM, with, with MI5 in the past and Searchlight and Gerald Ronson, the fraudster. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a mind boggling um, story. Um, it's a brilliant story. And uh, we, we do need to educate people on this. I've just had a couple of uh, questions in um, in the last couple of minutes. Let me stick my specs on because I can't see. Uh, Demon Child 1977 says, um, politicians across the spectrum defined the LSE protest as violent and anti-Semitic. Um, the prevailing MSM orthodoxy forbids any criticism of Israel. Will this ever change? Mm. What do you think, David? You're muted, Dave. Oh, yeah. it? Uh, well, I, I think, yes, it will change. Uh, um, you know, the, the moment where uh, organisations change from being demons to being you know, legitimate participants in politics is the moment when they're about to win. So, you know, I well remember the moment where uh, a, a, sort of a backlit bust of Jerry Adams standing in a BBC studio featured on a panorama just uh, as the peace process was about to be, uh, um, you know, sealed. Uh, just like the, you know, the, remember the time when, uh, when, uh, when Tory students used to wear their Hang Nelson Mandela t-shirts. And then, of course, you yes. know, uh, Nelson Mandela became this kind of a sainted creature. And that's what will happen in relation to Israel-Palestine. We, we already see the signs that there's a collapse coming. Uh, let me put that in two ways. One, in Palestine, we see that, with the, the uh, failed and botched uh, Israeli attack on Gaza in May, uh, with the, the evacuation of Lida, uh, um by settlers. Uh, first time that's ever happened. The uh, overwhelming of the Iron Dome um, we see uh, um, an axis of resistance across the Levant, um, which has, I think, a, a be the best chance now it's ever had of um, pushing seriously against the, the Israelis. And I think that that also has its mm. counterpart in this country, which is that, you know, in this country and in the US, popular, popular opinion has been moving against the Israelis for a long time. Uh, you know, popular opinion yeah. in Jew Jewish communities has been moving against Israelis for a long time. And as a result, they've got to, they've panicked and they've got to spend a lot of money and a lot of effort in creating a whole raft of new pro-Israel organizations. If you look back at the history of the creation of new pro-Israel organizations from 2009 onwards, especially since 2014, there are, there are literally hundreds of new pro-Israel organizations in this country alone, all of them 
uh, created with impetus and input from uh, uh, Zionist yeah. groups in uh, Israel, or indeed from the Israeli government, and, and that's because they know that they've lost, they're losing the a public opinion battle, and at one, at some point, that's going to collapse, and when it collapses, it will come quick. So, yeah, will it ever change? Yes, it will. Uh, I'm hoping it's going to be sooner rather than later, but we can't. Well, we'll, we'll exactly. and we'll do, I want to... and we'll do all we can to to speed it along. Uh, listen, we've only got uh, a minute left. Uh, Sean, do you want to quickly get that uh, last question in and uh, ask Tony if he can do a thirty second uh, response? Um, yeah, one from Kevin Rathbone. He says, I've read about the Sionin, um Israeli state secret helpers. Can we refer to these? Any any thoughts on that, Tony? Are you familiar with that or, or not? Yes, the Sionin. Uh, I, I'm not sure one should concentrate on that because, I mean, we know who the main actors are in, in the battle uh, to put over the Israeli case. But I think the main thing, and I, I emphasise what David said, Israel and its propagandists have to attack us as anti-Semites because they, what they do, both in Israel and in the West Bank, is indefensible. You can't mm. justify, in, term, in its own terms, arresting yeah. children in the early hours of the morning, blindfolding them, beating them, not allowing them access to lawyers, forcing them to sign confessions in a language they don't understand. It's far better to attack the, your critics as anti-Semites. You attack yeah. the messenger, and you don't deal with the message. And that's what. Israel and that's why. Uh, and that's why we need to be brave and stand together, shoulder to shoulder, and call it out Absolutely, wherever we yes. see it. Some, something that never happened, unfortunately, during uh, Jeremy's uh, time as as leader. Not not by he the leadership, anyway. The but listen, he did. He did. Um, but we need to fight back, uh, and we're beginning to, to do that, and we've made a decent start this evening. We're out of time now. We've gone about 30 seconds over. Thanks very much indeed to our guests, Tony Greenstein and uh, David Miller. Thank you, everybody, for watching, and we'll see you next week. At the same time, same place, 7 o'clock. Good night. <laughs>